All right, let's, uh, let's have a run because there's so many things to do. Three Sundays after Epiphany, Lent is on the way. Almighty God and Father, who called the Gentiles to enter fellowship with your Son and wills that all of us be saved, grant we beg you that the voice of your word goes to every land, that the gospel is proclaimed to every creature, and that every nation may thank and serve you through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, a lot of things to think about. Uh, we've been off schedule for so long, so sort of back on schedule. We'll see what happens. Uh, a couple of things. If you put money in the basket, it'll go to Voice of Care, something we've uh, supported for a very, very long time, so good for you. Thank you for doing that. Um, let's see. Sign up for the Women's Retreat, which is Friday and Saturday. So if you're new to this, uh, it's easy. Everything is free. There's a very fine professor coming from Wheaton College to talk about chronic and Lutherans and art and all those. He gets rave reviews and he's very excited to come. So this week, Friday and Saturday, so as you know, it works like this. There's free dinner at the, at the it was the Hilton, same place, but they've changed the name. It's a double tree now. So um, at the Hilton in Lyle, the double tree in Lyle, free dinner and... Uh, you know, glasses of wine and a lecture for an hour and then stay with your friends. If you want to stay overnight, uh, there are rooms available. It's inexpensive, like $100, but you don't need to stay overnight. So there's no cost to you unless you do stay. So dinner and a lecture and fun on Friday. Stay if you like. And then breakfast and a lecture on Saturday morning. Now, it's huge kind of Hilton buffet breakfast. You do not have to stay to come to breakfast or bring your friends. Like, Betsy, you should bring, like, 20 young women from the college. Mm -hmm. And John Curl will take care of it. That's how things work around here. You just talk to John, all the bills just go away. It's fabulous. So uh, <laughs> take your friends to, take your friends to, he's probably not here, so it's, I'm good so far. Oh, sorry, okay, well, okay, never mind. Yeah, right. He just swiped down to get the calculator up on his phone. He's all, uh, so that's, that's all good. So, and then exactly the same drill with exactly the same guy next week for the men's retreat. Bring your friends, you know, come one time, come both times, stay overnight, don't stay overnight, we don't really care. There's no cost involved. Bring as many people as you like. And uh, the only thing that'll um, cost you at all is if uh, you stay over. Okay, any questions about that? But do sign up because we need to, they need to make dinner. We need a rough count. I know that things always push and pull. But if you think you're coming along, please, please sign up. Okay? Bring your friends. And come on the spur of the moment. Bring your friends on the spur. We'll make it work. It's just a little easier if we plan a little bit. Okay, then um, at this time next week, a call meeting for an associate pastor. You saw that there was a notice, perhaps, in Life Together. So roughly it's gone like this. On the 1st of December, we asked for names. Three names were returned. A former vicar, Marshall Frisk. The district presidents didn't release his name because he's been in his parish about 10 minutes, and they don't like to do that to another parish. Okay. Um, then the ever-popular, also a vicar, um, Joe Holm, uh, who is a very fine human being, but uh, indulged us with interviews and chat, but in the end decided to stay where he is. He's just done a capital campaign. They just put an addition on their building. There's a lot of factors going on with him, but um, you know he's a great guy, but he withdrew his name 
uh, in the course of things. And then, uh, finally, yet another vicar, Chad Kendall. We were trying to figure out this morning if he was the second or third vicar that we ever had, but say it. Second, you know that? You keep that kind of stuff in your head. <laughs> That's amazing, right? I'm afraid what you might know about me. I mean, I used to be afraid to log on to Google, but now I'm, I'm more afraid of you, Carol. So he was our <laughs> second vicar, apparently. Um, he's had a very fine career at a couple of places. He was in Spirit Lake, Iowa for about six years, an associate pastor. He's been in Lowell, Indiana for about 11 or 12 years as a, a sole pastor, uh, he's taught all over the place at the seminary um, at Concordia, Chicago. He's working on a PhD. And um, I gave you two articles, one from the Lutheran Witness and one from the seminary magazine. You can kind of get a flavor for what he's interested in. What he's particularly interested in is people who don't go to church. And interestingly, a, a lot like our congregation, um, He came to an older congregation, and now the median age is 38, which is what ours was for when I came, and then it went all the way to 38, and he's, you know, at 150 baptisms in 12 years or something like that. He's very good with young families. So, uh, anyway, come back next week at this time. Watch for, it'll be the sanctuary here. I don't want to, if there's, I don't want to be in a room that might end up being too small, so maybe we'll be in the sanctuary but remember that you have to sign in because it's only if you're an active member and you have to get a ballot. That's going to take a little time. So you should start doing that as soon as church is over so that there's, we can start dead on at 10 a.m., okay? We'll either be here or downstairs. I'm not quite sure. I got it. We haven't quite rendezvoused and worked out all the details, but we will. Questions about any of that? Anybody? No? You all Okay. All right, so do come back next week. Uh, it's, it's important for the life of the church that you're involved in this and at least hear what the committee has to say and governing board and anybody else who might have something to say. Um, all right, good. Now, if you can remember where we've been, it's been a long time, right? So we took Christmas off and John was here and uh, the bishop, all kinds of things. But let's try this. Uh, So you should be, this is number eight. You know, we live in this world where everything is defined by power. People have kingdoms and they want to express them. And oftentimes, if you're on the wrong side of that power, things can go horribly wrong for you. Um, In fact, you know, the primary thing, and you can see this in how the world proceeds, if you just watch the news or if you watch politics or if you watch how nations interact with each other, uh, they try to exert their um, will on each other. There's a new book, a new translation of Machiavelli, The Prince, which I'm very interested in reading, uh, that describes, you know, what the world looks like in very graphic terms. Um, You know, he was a guy, you remember, who was on the right side, and then he was on the wrong side, thrown into prison and tortured, and then returned to at least out of prison and wrote this book about It's basically a book about human nature and what you can expect from people. Uh, It could be confession in the church in some ways. Opposite that is Jesus who has a kingdom that starts with repent. The kingdom of God is here. And as you heard in the sermon this morning, to to repent is not just to turn away from something. So you're, you're headed in this direction and you just sort of take your eyes off it. To repent, and this is especially in the Old Testament shuv, 
is to be turned toward something fabulous, toward life itself. And this is Jesus' only calling card. Uh, He tries to put before you life and encourages you toward it. He turns you around and resurrects you. There's all sorts of ways to talk about that. And um, this continuing patient, gentle touch that turns us away from sin and ourselves and turns us toward holiness and our Heavenly Father. So I've turned the page. And from now on, we're meant to live in God's kingdom, uh, which is very strong, but not irresistible. It's a very strong thing, but not irresistible. If you want to take leave of it and go some other way, you can, but that wouldn't make anybody happy, not God and not you. So from now till you die, there's this regular struggle of trying to keep things going. Um, There are a couple of just by fortuitously, a couple of very nice margin comments toward that today, uh, just of being patient. So there was one a few weeks ago from one of the Desert Fathers who said, when you're in pain or troubled, simply say, I will endure this for the sake of Jesus and things will get better. And then he says, you'll, you'll see, things will get better. And I think it's important to, uh, for all of us to think about that, especially because we're surrounded by people who are trying to establish themselves by power and their enemies be damned, right? And also because the church isn't handling this very well as we move from being a power ourselves to not being in power. And this is everything from people no longer know enough Bible stories even to read great literature to... um, the caricature of what Christians are and what they hope for. And this is especially hard on pastors, especially younger pastors now. There's a lot of anger and fear about what might happen. I just read another sermon yesterday by an old professor saying, well, you know, we barely have anybody come into seminary because it's not the way of, you know, what do we do now? Well, uh, and he knew this too. Um, You just kind of carry on. You put one foot in front of the other. And you all are very fortunate to be carrying on in a place that's so lively and happy and where people are so good um, and staff is wonderful. I mean, we're very, very fortunate, but no great thing happens by accident and uh, great things are easily destroyed, you know. As I said in Iowa, you know, it's hard to build a barn, but any jackass can kick it down. So, you know... uh, I have some other things from Iowa, if you're curious, but let's just kind of, you know, let's just kind of stick with that for today, okay? So, um, you know, the question is, what do we do? Because then there's always this question, and this is kind of the enduring, the church has lost its lead, right? We were ahead by 12 with two minutes to play. Yeah, and we let it go to the last shot. Never let anything go to the last shot, says Michigan, playing Illinois yesterday. So, come on, you align up, people have been suffering for a long time, so you get a little bit of a nod today, Right. So what is it that we do? This is why this is important for us, because we're actually living in the same time Jesus lived in. We're living in the same time the early church lived in. We are not the majority culture, and it's getting tougher. Now, you know, we can all go home and curl up in the fetal position and cry ourselves to sleep, or we can do what Jesus gives us to do. But the question would be, what is it that Jesus gives us to do? And so, you know, across the course of the stories, we've met the prodigal sons, both of them, and been fishing with Jesus. 
And um, we spent some time with the prayer that Jesus gave us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So the holiness of heaven comes to earth and has its way with us. Boom, boom, boom. Or um, that story about the weeds where um, people get impatient, pastors get impatient, and uh, there are bad people and they must be rooted out, they must be straightened out, they must be cleaned up. You know, the pure must be allowed to live uh, without the bother of evil uh, or pain. Of course, um, the moment you, you know, take the first 50 people out of this room, the next 50 are going to look very suspicious, right? And pretty soon you're the Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club, right? You have two members left, and you can't grow because you can't find anybody who meets your standards. So that's one possibility. The other possibility is that we would just learn from Jesus, do what he asks us to do, and let the chips fall where they fall. And that's the thing I'm trying to encourage you to do. Now, you know, the difficulty for all of you, and I suppose for us too, is that um, when things go well, sometimes you don't tend things as well as you might. And so the warning for us and for all of you is, you know, keep the disciplines. You have to constantly tend things, especially, you know, if you've grown anything, you know, you have to constantly tend things. So, um, I'm just at point number two, but are you okay? That's kind of the setup. That's where we've been. Uh, and we have to figure out how we're going to live as Christ's people. All right, so here we go. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can spin it open to Matthew 13 if you like. Um, if not, uh, you know, I've printed it out here for you, so it's all going to be okay. Sorry, I took your spot, young fella. There you go. Um, I should probably proved to you that it's actually in the Bible, right? Matthew 13, <laughs> not just making things up as I go along. Anybody got the page number? Matthew 13, 31, what is it? 819, 819 if you're using the uh, standard issue Bible right in front of you. So you remember we did this parable about the weeds, and they say, shouldn't we just uproot the evil ones? who are among us. And then Jesus says, are you out of your mind? Because when you do that, so many people will be hurt and it'll be a bit capricious. He says, you know, just, just wait. The Lord will sort it out. Now, so that's Matthew um, 13, 34. And then after that, these two stories that we'll do to today about the mustard seed and the yeast. So Matthew 13, 31. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. So here it is. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. People are like, what's that? Is it like every other kingdom? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Maybe this will help you. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So a good, a good mustard seed could grow 10 feet tall. So that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. No, don't be sorry a bit. Are you kidding? We love you. Miguel, could you go get them a couple of outlines right back there? So um, just point number two. Jesus told him a parable. This is what it's like. So three, Jesus' kingdom is a small thing. Right, you're not familiar with mustard seeds, probably, but you think if you think poppy seed or chia, you're in the neighborhood. 
tiny stuff, right? But now think about this in a couple of different ways. Um, these are the sort of things where you should, you know, you know, my pastoral advice to you is you should probably go on vacation, read two verses, have a double scotch, and stare at a sunset. And in the middle of that, you know, thoughts like this will come to you. I've heard, and this is not from experience, I just heard this kind of thing can happen. All right? So think about what's happening here. First, the seed comes from outside, you Lutheran types, extra nos. Every good thing comes from outside of us, says Machiavelli. It comes from outside or from above us or from the hand of another. This is pure kind of Lutheran stuff. Every good thing comes to us as a gift. And uh, when gifts are given and received, you know, fabulous, fabulous things can happen. I'm turning the page to number four. Now, let me ruin it for you before we even get there. I just wonder, so I'll give you this in advance. I, you know, usually you kind of wait for the big wow at the end. But maybe, since it's only a verse or two, maybe I'll give it to you in advance and see whether you can see this, right? This is like those, you know, it's a where's Waldo or, you know, staring at those things and you take it away and you can still see it. In this story, can you sense the cross? That is, Jesus is sown and the resurrection that Jesus is buried and the ascension that Jesus is displayed and the church that Jesus is enduringly present. I just put it there for you. You know what? If you don't see it, you know, have another scotch. So, um, you know, just, just kind of think it through. Of course, it's a story about a seed, but it's a simile. This is what it's like. And so it's up to you to connect the dots a little bit. Okay? So you can connect the dots in some ways, but the ultimate dot connecting is when you see everything as a gift and blessing from Jesus. And of course, the punchline is going to be Jesus sows himself into our midst. So Jesus sows himself into us. You know, Jesus grows within us. Um, Jesus displays himself through us. And through us, Jesus endures on earth, even as he sits at the right hand of God. Boom, 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 boom. This is how the kingdom works. And very few people are patient enough to endure this or recognize it or be sanguine with it. Because, you know, we look around and we say, everybody else is getting their way. Everybody else is successful. This is why it's so difficult to measure. I think often people forget, you know, the church is a volunteer organization. You know, it's not easy just to um, bring what you know from the outside and bring it in and say, well, just go like this. Because you know what the truth is? I don't have any leverage with any of you. There's not one thing I can do to any of you to make you do something. Your boss can raise pay, lower pay, give vacation, take vacation away, give you a plan for improvement, give you a promotion, right? I can, yeah, that's all I can do. So, um, you know, part of what you, you always have to rethink for yourself uh, What's possible here? And why does Jesus do it this way? I'll admit to you it's frustrating, but um, perhaps we can console ourselves by thinking small, says Jesus, number five. These seeds are disproportionately small compared to what they produce. Verse 32, the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds. And smallest of the small seeds is um, this mustard seed and dark. So, I mean, and now it all goes very easily to the darkness of the soul, 
um, the pain we feel in the midst of faith, the disappearance of Jesus when he ascends, or even before that, when the stone is rolled in front of the tomb. Right? So this great difficulty of a small thing, the road to Emmaus, that gave people hope, and even the smallest thing is taken away from them. We thought that this man was the Messiah. Right? We thought that he was serious about the kingdom of God. And often you feel this way. For all you can see, you might as well have done nothing. Right? Even the smallest thing you do disappears. Right? I've often told you about Bishop Festo, who was... I heard him when I was in college. He was Bishop of Uganda when Idi Amin was killing his enemies and eating them for dinner. You have to be of a particular age to remember that. And he spoke about being the salt of the earth. And he sort of looked out at these smart alecky white college kids and sort of said, you remember that salt dissolves, right? And he went back to Uganda. So for all you can see, the stuff that you do, um, raising your kids, giving your tithe, turning the other cheek, praying for your enemies, for all that you see, it's a nothing because it's small and it's dark And it's very, very quiet. Uh, You know the end of the story, so you know that seeds give life. But for a moment, oof, that is painful when they have disappeared and gone completely dead to you. Right? So this is the push of faith, that you do what you're meant to do no matter what. You don't change, you don't bend, you don't nudge, you don't trade. You simply do what Jesus asks you to do. This is what it means to repent. You were facing like this. That was death. He tells you that's death, even though it looks like pleasure, it looks like fame, it looks like power, it looks like everything important in our world. And Jesus says, um, let's go this way, right? To which you, you know, when you're young and excited or old and never heard it before, you say, that sounds great, until even the most important things that you do seem small, and dark, and they disappear as if nothing ever happened. Well, that's no way to run a kingdom, number eight. Because, you know, we like fireworks and marching bands. The primaries are just heating up. You watch, right? We love um, impeachment trials. Pick your side. But what else is this but an exercise in um, showing who's smartest, strongest, best, right? On both sides. Um, the lack of humility in our leaders on both sides. So, you know, we like to get things done, and that's how we sort things out, and we pick our friends that way, except in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is different. And uh, you should always remember, right, that the kingdom of heaven is going to carry on with or without you and with or without me, with or without your great efforts and, you know, with or without my genius ideas. You know, these two square blocks can fold up and go away, and the kingdom of heaven is going to carry on. Of course, the bright side is that these two square blocks can flourish no matter what anybody else does. And um, you can be part of the greatest thing that ever lit up the cosmos. But it's difficult. Um, It's difficult. If you wait, however, when it has grown, that mustard seed, that Jesus, that church, 
is larger than all the other garden plants and becomes a tree. This is point number nine. Although even then, it doesn't look like much. You know, if you start with a poppy seed and it goes to 10 feet, you think, well, that was, I wish that would have been a stock in my portfolio. But if you compare a 10-foot mustard tree, say, to a redwood, you're kind of like, oof, is this really the bus I want to ride? Um, but maybe you could check the birds of the air who come and make their nests in the branches. And with the nests, then eggs, and with the eggs, hatchlings. And suddenly, um, things are flourishing. And little things um, give life to other things. And there's a particular joy of even small things done well. So the punchline, number 10, in all of these things, Jesus sows and Jesus is sown. Or maybe I should have done better and said, Jesus sows himself. So Jesus comes to us and Jesus gives himself to us. Jesus gives himself into us. Jesus disappears within us. Jesus dies within us and rises within us. Romans 6, don't you know all of you who have been baptized with him have shared in a death and a resurrection and a new glory, a new life with him? Don't you know that? Everybody knows that? Come on, if you're in the church, you know that. So the church will always be this thing uh, that starts small and has a lot of uh, small results. But if you put them all together, it is startlingly wonderful. And that's a thing that you and I are meant to hold on to. And it's the great affirmation um, of all of us. When my kids went to college, each one I said to them, the pressure is off. When you get to college, you won't be the smartest kid and you won't be the richest kid. So, you know, your last name doesn't have to be Bezos. So the pressure's off, right? Right? There's a kid who got, was admitted to Mensa yesterday at age three. Did you see that? Yes. Sorry for the rest of you, right? <laughs> Losers, right? So uh, he'll be doing surgery on you at nine. Breathe deeply. <laughs> You won't want to watch. So, um, you know, but um, the thing is, is, you know, all the stuff that Jesus says about my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is otherworldly. Um, this is what real life looks like. This is what Trinitarian life, life here is an illusion. Real life is before the face of God. You know, all of these things with which we become impatient. And the harder thing is then, you know, we become impatient, and then we think that we're unfaithful. And when we feel like we're unfaithful, then the devil gets to us, and our prayers go south, and you know we don't come to the Holy Supper, and we're unkind with other people, and we entertain other ways. And you know, pretty soon you're at Esalen paying you know two thousand dollars a day, and you know, I'll have to come and rescue you because it's by the beach, and I'm willing to do that because I'm your pastor, but it'll take me some time <laughs> to find you and rescue you. Don't worry, I'll be back when the money runs out. So, um, you know, this is a story about keeping the disciplines. This is a story about Jesus who sows small things that eventually come very big things. And then Jesus says to you, um, hey, you could play too, of course. That's the point of the ascension, right? Hey, you can play too. And he bids you to do small things. And over and over again, we've talked about Acts 2 as kind of a paradigm for this, 
When Jesus left them behind after his ascension, you know, what did they do? Acts 2. Devoted themselves to Christ, to Scripture, to prayer. They went to prayer every day, morning and evening. Christ, Scripture, prayer, um, right? The liturgy, the Eucharist. They broke bread repeatedly, daily. They gave a tithe and alms to the poor, and people were startled by the fact that they were kind and generous toward people who were not of their cult. So they weren't just kind to people in this room. They were kind to people on the street. And people said, what a strange group that is, right? So Christ's scripture, prayer, liturgy, and Eucharist, tithing and alms, that um, very thorough mercy. So soon the Christians became known as those who buried the dead and um, took in abandoned children and fed people who had nothing to eat and started the first hospitals and then the first schools and then not just schools for little boys but also for girls, right? All these things that blow up the 21st century um, prejudices against the church. A thorough mercy, and that became this great witness. And, you know, for about 1,700 years, the church had its way with the world in fits and starts, bigger and smaller. And now we find ourselves in a time where such a thing is not true and everybody's panicking. Tranquilo. It's all going to be fine. You are not meant to sort out the ends. You know, outcomes belong to the Lord. What you're meant to do is to do small things really, really well. So you shouldn't confuse the fact that Jesus asked you to do very small things with that you can do them in a sloppy way or you can just ignore them altogether or you can act as if they don't matter. This is a story about how small things matter, right? So this is a story about saying your prayers because that matters. This is a story about going to the Eucharist because that matters. This is a story about giving a real tithe because that matters. This is a story about loving your enemies and praying for those who hurt you and giving and expecting nothing in return because Jesus says that matter. Jesus sows himself. He sows himself into the world. He sows himself into you. And in you, he disappears. And in you, he flourishes, right? So you can't be taken the, the, you know, another way. There's only one way. This is the way home, Camino, pilgrimage, right? The Christians, before they were called Christians, were called people of the way, right? They don't go this way, they go this way. Why? Because they were faced this way and then they repented and they were turned to the kingdom of God. So, um, you know, for you too, this is the most, most important thing. Instead, you know, what Jesus does is ask you to keep the disciplines, uh, to live within his gifts and to just keep going. So, I think I'm all the way to the bottom of 12. Let's see what the next page brings. Um, Just the last thing under number 12, just before 13. Um, Always remember that his gifts and his works are his gifts and his works. And this is the biblical distinction between kairos and chronos, um, two biblical words for time. Chronos is like chronology or, um, you know, sometimes you see fancy watches advertised with the word chronos. They keep good time. They just kind of, it's tick-tock. Jesus is all about kairos, another word for time, but it means just the right time or the fulfillment of time. 
or when things come to their fruition, or when a seed is dropped in and people are patient and it grows to be 10 feet tall and gives life to other creatures, or um, wheat that's sown and the man who sows it goes to bed and it all springs up and he knows not how. When people want to pull out the weeds, he tells them to relax because someday the owner will be back to make it all right. So all of that um, just in the first bit. How you doing? You've heard all this before, but um, for myself included, it's startling to me how often I need to hear these things again and again. Um, I often wonder, you know, what you remember and what I remember. And uh, so it's good to hear it again, that the kingdom of God is like this tiny little seed. Y'all good? All right, then we should do the other one, because this is amazing. Jesus is a serious woman. Look at this. Um, Matthew 13, 33. Thank you, Betsy. Um, 33, 33. Um, he told them another parable. He must have been in a good mood. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into large amounts of flour until it worked through the dough. One verse, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Such crazy stuff, right? Um, Jesus told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a leaven that woman took and hid in, instead of saying a large quantity, yes, you get the three measures, right? Till it was all leavened. So, I mean, this. look at this. Now, this is important for you. This isn't um, an easy operation, which is something to consider so the size of the church or the size of the task or the size of the effort. So three measures is a bushel is 80 pounds. Uh, if you bake bread and you start with 80 pounds of flour, you are on your way somewhere, right? <laughs> and if you just kind of work that out by normal measure, um, 126 cups of flour needs 42 cups of water, and you get 101 pounds of dough. So you know, what, you know what the kingdom of God is like? It's like a big project, right? And you can imagine, you know, uh, you know Jesus never got the KitchenAid thing with the bread hook, you know? So he's like working on you from the side and patting you like this and pushing other parts of your pointy head down and trying to get you to come alive. That's what Jesus is doing because he's serious about this. And you should know, then, that this is all inedible. I mean, for you, I just have to confess to you. I mean, everybody should confess their sins. I don't understand eating raw cookie dough. If you eat raw cookie dough, you're weird and might be outside the kingdom of heaven. I have to... <laughs> even, even if you do this in Ben and Jerry's ice cream, I'm just saying to you, that is a crime against nature. It's right here in the scriptures. Not that much difference between cookie dough and bread dough. Come on. Part of the point is... is this isn't good for much until you get the leaven inside it. Come on. So um, now you see the connection. Like seed that goes into the dirt and disappears, even more so, yeast goes into the dough and it disappears, right? It dissolves. You can't see it. It's there. You think it's there. Did I put that in or didn't I put that in? Did I do what I was supposed to do? And then in the same way, like a seed that dies and comes back to life, um, yeast, leaven, yeast, is mysterious and warm 
right? It's breath. So you should be thinking at that point, you should be thinking about the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters of creation. And the Holy Spirit came to Adam and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Right? Uh, Let he who has ears to hear, hear. Let he who has eyes to see, see. All these dots are connected. And so, um, you know, this world that was made by the impetus of Jesus, nothing was created that wasn't created through him. Right? Jesus created everything. He's the creator, even though we, you know, he's the author of creation at the will of the Father by the energy of the Holy Spirit. But everything was made. And it's not so far from John 20 where Jesus says to the disciples, what does he do to change the disciples into somebody useful? He breathes on them. Like creation, he recreates them. Like bed being baked, leaven. It's a mystery. How does this work? We don't know. We're just given to do what, what it is that we do, right? So it's just this single story over and over again, and it is the disciple. Of, it is the story of being a disciple. You know, if you can free yourself from outcomes, I mean, maybe that maybe there's the spectrum here. Maybe on one end of the spectrum is my life is just fine, just the way it is, and you know, wife and kids and church and job, and it's all. So you kind of just like get caught up in the twirl of all that, and um, you know, you wake up one day and you know you're dead. Um, okay, that's an unfaithful life. In the same way, on the other end of the spectrum, to be always concerned about outcomes, to try to move things in the direction we always want, to lack patience, to uproot things, to skip steps, to refuse to do things well, to only do large things, not small things, to forget the disciplines that Christ has given us, and to remember that those disciplines are good for us, that Jesus didn't come to ruin your fun. Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Um, Then your life as a Christian in the church is very, very different. You know what the kingdom of God is like? It's like when Jesus sows seed. You know what the kingdom of God is like? It's like when Jesus puts leaven into dough. And dead things come alive and mysterious things happen. And at the end of the day, everybody's happy in a Jesus way of being happy and not in a worldly way of being happy. And that's okay. Because this is real life. And the other stuff over here, that's the illusion. And the stuff you've been turned toward, that's the thing that matters most because These are the virtues, these are the gifts, this is the holiness, this is the warmth, this is the life of God extended into the life now. And this, you know, all disappears into the dirt and never comes back. So um, it's your choice. The Holy Spirit's been working hard on you. And um, 15, Jesus has enlivened you and he's enlisted you into service and he's asked you to stand watch and say your prayers and Stay put, abide with me, and I in you. Or the devil prowls around like a like a like a lion wanting to devour you. Devour you. You should stay put where you are, and you should say your prayers. You should keep watch and be vigilant and pay attention and stay awake and do what you're meant to do. And 
um, then it'll all sort itself out. And you remember that faith agrees. So the whole goal here is just to see and say and do and live as Jesus sees and says and does and lives. You're meant to be little Christ to each other. That's how Luther talks about it. And bottom of the page, it's patience over being pushy. The whole world is pushing on everybody else right now. And unfortunately, a lot of people are being pushed down, right? Jesus has another way, which is to be patient. Um, So, you know what? That's how the kingdom of heaven works. And in this, one last thing, you should feel this great freedom to try, right? You should feel freedom to make honest mistakes in your trying. You should feel free to confess that and be forgiven, and you should feel free to start over again. And all of those things um, can be done with joy because it's the energy of the Spirit through you, it's the life of Christ in you, and it's done for the good of other people. And that's what the Church is. The Holy Trinity spends its energy doing good, and drawing you to good. If you play along in the church, the church is meant to do good and draw others into the church who don't know about Christ so that everybody gets turned from this stuff which will kill us to this stuff which will enliven us. And your job is to keep the disciplines, not in a harsh way, but because the disciplines are life. You know, go to the you a story about a vicar. You won't know which one, not Chad Kendall. Okay, so <laughs> this will explain it all to you. We had a vicar once who pronounced that every time God asked you to do something, it was the law. I said, really? Yes, every time God asks you to do something, it's the law. I said, come out of Egypt, that's the law. Keep the Ten Commandments, that's the law. Um, Lazarus, come out, that's the law. Take eat, take drink, that's the law. So I looked at him and said, how about when your wife says, kiss me, baby? He goes, I don't want to play anymore. (laughs) That's the difference between the law and the gospel. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks. Uh, See you next week.